Tim Smith, thank you so much for uh, being my guest here today on uh, Talking the Talk. Yeah, man. It's good to be here. It's good well, to be anywhere. <laughs> you're a fellow Atlantean, man. So, or an Atlean, I guess they call us, you know? So, um, yeah. How are you holding up over across town with the whole uh, COVID thing? Are you doing the shelter in place and being safe? Pretty much, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was telling my wife, it's not too different from my normal life. <laughs> I'm kind of always at home anyway. So, um, you know, other than going to the grocery store and stuff and trying to get there early enough to um, beat the crowds and, and just, you know, wearing the crazy little mask that I made and stuff, it's been <laughs> it's been fine. And we've, you know, just been playing games around the house, things we nor- normally wouldn't necessarily do, but it's been cool to reconnect with our family and, and, and just have some time together. Yeah, my life hasn't changed much either. I spend almost all my time in in my basement, just you know, listening to music, playing music, talking to friends and musicians, and so it's not a whole lot different except for I can't go out for Chinese food. So, right, kind of a bummer. So, (laughs) so, yeah, I get you. Well, I am so excited about the whole Licorice uh, Licorice Quartet album or EP that just came out, and obviously. You know, I'm I'm a longtime Jellyfish fan, so this has really been a you know a huge thing for us. Um, how is how have you seen it recepted or received so far by Jellyfish fans alike? Um, you know, I think it's gone it's gone down fairly well. I don't I don't look at every Jellyfish fan page and stuff, and I know <laughs> of a bunch of them. I think. You know, we hope people that were fans of Jellyfish will get this. Is clearly not Jellyfish because Andy Summers not involved, and and you know, uh, Roger and Eric and I have, have uh, once everybody starts to hear the, all the different EPs, you'll you'll see there's a lot more stylistically maybe going on than than what Jellyfish sort of focused on for those two first record or those two records that we mm-hmm. did, or I did one of them with them. But you know, it's it's. I'm glad that everybody's still wanting to listen to it. I think. I'm I'm only saying that because I don't want people to get the impression that we were trying to continue Jellyfish. I think it was more of whatever, how long it's been, 20-odd years later that we were all able to get back together, the three of us, just with a sort of common denominator of sort of the same record collections and same strategy for what we like to do musically and how to get together and do that. And we found a way to do it, even though I live in Atlanta and the other two are in L.A. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't really start with an agenda of like let's recreate what jellyfish was about and i think the songs that we were writing together were some of them were bits and pieces from years ago but um you know we tried to keep somewhat of a contemporary eye on what we're all into at the moment so hopefully it it, it, people that like jellyfish will like this but they can also kind of grow with us as well as being a, a jellyfish fan for so long like the last thing that i wanted was a recreation of jellyfish the music is it's familiar but yet it's surprisingly new those harmonies are still there that uh, like the things that i loved about jellyfish are in there but it isn't jellyfish it's your own thing i had to commend you on that was that because <laughs> you think you guys had similar influences you were able to bring that back after so long yeah, I mean, you know, we we uh, Roger and I started talking about this in 2017. Um, I just sort of finished playing with Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, and he had a break with um, playing with Beck. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of reached out to Eric after that. And I think we just, because uh, we'd worked together on some of my Umajet stuff in the past, 
both Roger and Eric had played on them and, and um, Roger called me and said, Hey man, one of those songs that we worked on came up on my iPod and I just started it or on his phone, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and he just said, I just started thinking about it and I really missed the, the style of music that we were all sort of into and you know it was just a conversation and then we we i'd go out to los angeles and we'd kind of play some ideas for each other and it just started to bloom and i think it's kind of like you said like we saw all have the sort of the same record collections and it wasn't so much of like trying to say things like oh let's make a bowie record it was more like somebody would play something and i would play it in a style and somebody would say oh that reminds me of black country rock mm-hmm and everybody knew what that meant, you know, even though it could, it, it was just an acoustic guitar, a 12 string guitar that was not even on black country rock, but you know what I mean? Like we just have the same, um, sensibility of what things mean. Cause we've all probably like you sit and listen to music so much that it just kind of becomes your building blocks for your own creation. And, and because we were able to speak that way, it was pretty quick and easy to kind of get back into it. Um, to uh, create these songs. I would imagine that three of you guys being together in the same band for so long, obviously things are going to rub off on each other and there's going to be somewhat of a creative connection. What's really special about this EP is that you all really got to create. And I liked, I actually, I loved being able to hear the distinct differences, but yet, you know, so, uh, so, actually subtle differences, and sim- but yet similarities of all the material which I thought really showed exactly what you said. Like you guys shared the same record collection pretty much, but you kind of approached it in different ways. So what are the different ways that you feel like the three of you guys approached writing to kind of bring it together the way it turned out? Um, I would say the overriding arc to everything is what's going to serve the song best Mm -hmm. was always where we started. So, um, and, you know, Roger's a pretty well-known session musician in Los Angeles, and he plays on a lot of different people's records, and, and I've done a fair amount of that, too, and Eric has as well. So we just use the strengths of what we've had to use to be playing with other musicians, which is you've got to have this arsenal of, of ability and, you know, skills and, and instruments and understanding things and sensibilities to what works best. So I, all of that to say a lot of our song ideas were very different and I thought it was just super refreshing that Roger could say, Oh my gosh, this is more like Roxy music. Let me, um, let me put that hat on, but not later Roxy music, but earlier like Brian Eno type stuff. And so, you know, it just gave us a freedom to explore everything. Um, it could be, some sort of Thomas Dolby esque sounds for synthesizers on some <laughs> songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And because we're just, we just don't really, we just want to make the best and most intriguing and compelling songs that we can. We didn't really worry about, Oh, there's got to be one lead singer or there's got to be this or that because these days we just don't, we just want to be as creative as we can. And that template though has always been what's the best thing for the song so then you're free to kind of use whatever tools in your toolbox that you have Mm -hmm. which is what we try to do yes and again like i said what i loved so much about hearing the album is that there's such a good flow to the songs too but yet like i said they all kind of stand on their own but yet work together and i loved that because that's that to me is where it's obvious that there was more than just two hands in the pot if that makes sense 
Yeah, I mean, we had some time to kind of develop all the songs too. We weren't really under any kind of um, deadline, mm-hmm. so certain things kind of rose to the top. And we've, you know, because we have two other EPs in the can that we're going to release later, they're sort of grouped in in a, a specific way. Mm-hmm. And as they all come out, it'll it'll hopefully. And it was sort of done on purpose, I think. Um, the one thing that we still maintain is that the music that we create and the time that we put into it, especially in vocal recreating vocals and stuff, it's just an arduous process, and, it, and mm-hmm. not a lot of people a know how to do that, b take the time to do it, or they're c just not very good at singing the way that you have to to create the type of things that Roger arranges. So, you know, it's meticulous and it takes time, and it requires listeners sometimes that get it to to take the time to sit down and listen to it. I mean, when we release Lighthouse Spaceship, knowing that it's a six and a half minute song, you know, that's daunting to a lot of listeners and mm-hmm. these days. And we just didn't really care. We, we you know, it's funny <laughs> when we first started working on it. It's like somebody said, you know, this is six and a half minutes long, and we hadn't even thought about it that way. So. Uh, you know, we're just doing it for for ourselves and the love of what we like. So um, hopefully people like it. I thought the other cool thing about uh, Lighthouse Spaceship was I was like, oh, look at this. It's a great pop song, but it kind of breaks the 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 pop song rule of like three and a half minutes. You know, like, so I, like I loved that it was this, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to say like epic pop song. You know what I mean? But it really is. It's like an epic pop rock song. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's something. There was some talk about, oh, well, we could, you know, fade it at the end of the first half or whatever. But you know, we're not in an era where being on the radio means as much anymore. Right. Um, and you know, it, it allows people to go to a different place, and that that's sort of one of the other things that we all believed in as listeners and as fans of music so much was that why do you have to try and pigeonhole yourself into a box that says it has to be three and a half minutes long? So. I love what you said about not having to cater to radio or some sort of a commercial outlet to play the songs is that if you're feeling it and it's good, why cut it off in the same way that why extend it if it feels like it's good to just cut it? I love that 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 you guys went in with that mentality. Now, when you guys went into the studio, it had to have been kind of like a family reunion kind of thing because you were all together in the studio again, working on this new material. Like, was it hard to get any work done at first? <laughs> like, were you just like reminiscing and catching up or? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I would go out there and uh, when we were first just writing songs, I was staying with Eric and we, you know, have our writing sessions and Roger would come over. But I have, you know, Roger's a pretty meticulous dude, so while we would go have a nice Thai meal every now and then and catch up with stuff, we we were on a schedule because I had to go out there and, and work. But mm-hmm. yeah, of course, there's a bunch of stories and, and catching up with things. And Rogers had a whole career playing on people's records. I was like, so tell me more about playing on Morrissey's record. And what was that like? Mm-hmm. Or same with Eric, like him, he had just gone gotten back from Europe playing with uh, another group called Lost Angels, which is made up of a bunch of different people in Los Angeles, you know, so oh, right, there's all yeah. that stuff. And the fact that we're all older and have, uh, you know, I have kids, Roger doesn't have kids or, or Eric, they don't have children, but you know, there's the stories of them seeing pictures of my son, Kieran, who's 26 now, who was born when I was in jellyfish. So and you make yeah, it feel it's old sort of a family time. reunion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can imagine that, that kind of 
electricity that kind of came through when you guys got together. And obviously, I'm sure this is going to get asked a lot. And But is there a fear from you guys that there's going to be too much expectations of you being jellyfish, basically? I wouldn't say that it's fear as much as just, look, you know, I, I was a fan of jellyfish before I joined them. I remember seeing them in, in Atlanta opening for World Party in whatever, 1991 and 90 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And was blown away. And then their sound engineer, Shalom, had moved to Atlanta. and I'd become friends with him. And uh, he was doing sound for a band I was working with at that time. And, you know, I made that connection through him. And that's kind of how I got the gig. But the point is, is that it was clear that Andy was the lead singer. And I found out later that, you know, Roger and he were the, were the main writers. Um, mm-hmm. I love Jason Faulkner. I love Chris Manning. Um, when I got to play with them, it was very clear to me that this was Andy's baby and Roger's baby, and mm-hmm. that's all it ever was. I was never asked to be any more than that, and the fact that Roger's put out a few solo records and Andy's gone on to have a career in uh, music production and writing music for TV and movies and stuff like that, we we haven't kept in touch, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Andy's happy in his life and stuff, and, and if he wanted to be more involved and more engaged he had every opportunity to but he just doesn't and that's cool you know everybody he's he's his own dude and we wish him well and there was never any thought of this trying like hey should we get jellyfish back together that's never been discussed right um, whatever roger's uh influence with andy as as their own personal stuff i can't speak to but i know that you know there's no as far as i can tell at least from roger there's no ill will and uh of course we want people to, and, and as a fan, I would go, man, it would be great if uh, Andy and Roger could get back together and do something. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear what that what became of that, but that's not my place to say. And I certainly uh, hope that fans of our music will understand that, you know, we're not trying to recreate Jellyfish. We're only staying true to a sort of style of music that we've all been fans of together. So... I'm going to assume that there's plans to maybe take this on tour. Has there been talks about hitting the road with this and taking it? Not to the really. Fans? I mean, it hasn't. That's just we're you know we're older guys and we're, none none of us are. Uh, I don't think any of us at this point want to get in a van and go and play clubs. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just not in the in the works for us. I, I think obviously if, if our music were to get out to enough people where where there was some interest and there was a, a viability way of us considering the way to do it, because we're sort of self-funding this, uh, that might be a conversation, but uh, that was never really in our in our wheelhouse. I think it would be fun, and we may maybe could do some one-off things uh, together in Los Angeles. We've talked about doing that, but even that's pretty involved, because we're not going to... This music is not the kind of thing you just go, you know, busk on a corner, so it takes some time to uh, work it out and stuff. Um, and, you know, we'd love to have Jeremy Stacy, who played drums on the thing, uh, be a part of it, but he's based in the UK and still, as far as I know, still doing King Crimson pretty full on. And, and, uh, although he's reached out to us and said he'd love to play, but you know, it's, it requires a lot of, of energy that at the moment, and obviously with everything going on now, the touring is just not on the books for anybody, but you know, it's not off the books, but it would require some, some different things that aren't really happening at the moment. Jeremy Stacy, the honorary fourth, as far as the quartet goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could say that, yeah. I mean, the the name is is from a '70s movie that Roger was always a fan of. Uh, yes. So, and, and he brought it up to me as like, 
but there's only three of us. And he went, exactly. And I just went, okay. Well, we're going down the old Thompson twins. I was just going to say, wasn't they the Thompson twins? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But we figured we could leave, you know, the fourth person, the fourth, it's sort of like a, a, a Holy Spirit, maybe, of drummers or whomever we, we need to get to fill in. You know, what I love about Jeremy is, is he's got this ability to wear so many different hats that no matter what he's playing, a listener can go, almost feels like, okay, that's the only style he plays. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like he's so focused on each specific style. Um, did, you know, coming off the heels of like something like King Crimson, where it's super technical and progressive and everything, was it hard to kind of like reel him in to do this? Or is he just able to just drop everything and just do what he's focusing on right then and yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah, not at all. He he is. You can wear. He is a, in my opinion, one of the greatest session drummers I've ever known. I mean, I've heard him him play on pretty much any style of music, and you know, going from funk and R and B stuff to punk and and new wave and jazz, like full on, straight up jazz and stuff. Uh, he can do anything. And he's he's probably the biggest lover of music I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And when I first met him, I'd go to his studio in London, and he was just sort of living in the studio, literally sleeping under his, his mixing console. And we would just sit there and listen to, like, Buddy Rich records and stuff. And it's like, that's cool for a while, but it's like five hours into it, and I, I just like, dude, I'm not this deep. I can't, I can't hang with <laughs> drummers, but... That's but amazing. he's got that kind of a passion for, for music that, and it wouldn't be all just jazz. It could be anything, anything mm-hmm. that's compelling, um, even classical music. He's taught me a lot about some things that I never would have really considered. And, and so he, he brings that to drumming. And I think he, his mindset with us was he was a fan of Jellyfish as well. We met him touring together back in 93. He was in an English band called the Lemon Trees that yes. supported us. And uh, so we kind of met through that and kept in touch. And then I ended up getting him an audition to play with me and Cheryl Crow's band. And we did that. That That was a whole different world. We did that for a long time. And then we uh, played in World Party for a minute. And then we both did the Finn Brothers, which was Neil and Tim Finn. Yes. And then we did, uh, you know, the the Noel Gallagher's thing. So he, he wore a lot of different hats in that. And in the meantime, he's always been playing and, on different people's records that were big number one hits in the UK and stuff. And then mm-hmm. doing his jazz stuff too. So he's a badass. I remember the first time a friend of mine from uh, Durham came, came down to Atlanta and took me to see Crimson for the first time. Cause I'd never seen him. And we were sitting there and he was telling me all about the drummers and he's like, Oh, Jeremy Stacy. I'm like, Jeremy Stacy, like Chris Robinson's drummer, like Noel Gallagher. And he's like, I have no That's idea right. who he played yeah. with. I was like, dude, he played with Chris Robinson, Noel Gallagher. Like I said, he's played with, like Cheryl Crow and he goes Cheryl Crow and I'm like yeah I'm like I, I said I'm curious to see how he does with this <laughs> you know and so it was just amazing to see somebody with some so many you know facets you know just kind of be like oh, wow yeah. you're a fucking badass drummer man <laughs> you know <laughs> I don't think I mean he 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 takes music as a challenge if, if there's something that he doesn't understand and to this day he'll still go he'll go to New York on his on, on his time off and go to the 55 bar, whatever, the big the sort of jazz club that right. um, all the dudes that played on Bowie's last record, they all play there. That, um, 
And he'll literally like hang out with a drummer that he likes for a week and almost take lessons from them. And these are guys that are younger than him that, you know, have technique that he, he just, he wants to master it all the time. And I've never seen a guy that's at, at his age and at his success that's still willing to learn and, and, and frankly doesn't consider himself in the class that I put him in. And he's, so he's humble in that regard. Talking about you a little bit more is that, like, at what point do you kind of look at someone like Jeremy and go, okay, I'm not done learning? Like, like from playing with Sheryl Crow to Noel Gallagher and things like that, did you learn some things along the way that you didn't know before that, that, you, that you've been able to apply to this new project? Yeah, I mean, um, I wasn't a huge, I've said this a bunch, and I don't mean it disparagingly, but I wasn't a huge Sheryl Crow fan when I was auditioning for her. I mm-hmm. found her first album I just heard all I want to do is have some fun and just drove me crazy because it was on the radio all the time (laughs) but I did learn a lot from her and and, and mostly about how to simplify things I think coming out of Jellyfish as a guitar player a bass player Mm -hmm. um, and playing her music it just it taught me a little bit more and same with Noel Gallagher you know his songs are so infectious in some ways i had no idea that it was still as he was still as popular especially around the world not so much in america but and he's written some pretty big songs and they're very standard you know i like to call it uh cowboy chords his Mm -hmm. first position kind of chords and he just kind of moves a capo around to get different uh keys and stuff but he's playing basically the same sorts of shapes and right like can't deny it still a good melody because people would he would say people give him crap about that and say you know it's like a Beatles thing or whatever and he goes all right well you try it you try and write a song like <laughs> like he has and you know kind of give it to him for that that's cool um so yeah i learned a lot i try to learn from uh everything i've i've ever been a part of the, the interesting thing for me was i was never i didn't start out as a bass player in anything i was always a guitar player and i ended up getting gigs as a bass player Right, because those were the things that came along. So, you know, I think I've never quite had the pocket that uh, people that just focus on bass do. So that's always something that I'm trying to work on. Um, but I, I still like having a little bit of struggle in whatever I do. So I'm not as much of a technical learner as somebody like Jeremy, because I think the drum chair is a little bit different. You can't you can't sort of struggle to find where the groove is. It has to, <laughs> or the tempo or whatever. The one guy in the band that really has to have his stuff together is the drummer. So uh, it's a little different for me in that regard with Jeremy. But um, I, I still like being able to just hear the struggle in what I'm trying to do playing-wise. See, that's cool because it's like you said, it's the challenge of that struggle is something that kind of keeps it fresh and keeps it always interesting instead of just absolutely bored to tears or whatever playing the same ACDC bass line. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, Roger played some guitar on this record um, because he's a, he's a great, you know, if you want to be, if you want to have a Ramon slash Buzzcocks guitar player, he's your guy. Mm-hmm. He can play like that. And that's not something that's as easy to do as some people would think it is. It, and and you'll hear on some of the stuff that comes out later that um, it's deceptively difficult to recreate that. And, you know, so I learned a lot of that from Roger, too. I, even in making Spilt Milk with Roger and Andy, it was oftentimes them trying to tell a lot of really, really good guitar players what to play. And it, it almost got to the point where it's like, 
you just need to play this yourself, man. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I'm not that good. Well, you're so meticulous about it that you should do it because you've just told Lyle Workman and John Bryan five billion ways to get to where you're going, and, and it's just not happening until you just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that, but that's a good thing. I think Roger, even in this, in, in these recordings, he knows what he wants, and he can play off even a song that I brought in, and he can bring in a, a different uh, sensibility to it that requires me to step up my game on a part that I wouldn't have naturally have thought of. And I think we trust enough, each other enough to go that go down each other's paths, which has been cool. I have the Jellyfish fan club box, you know, that came out years ago. Uh-huh. And I was reading yeah. the liner notes in there one, one, one day, and there was a little quote from you that said, like, you can still get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and hit your liar out of uh you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. like like I can't even begin to imagine how just meticulous and how like intense those harmony practices were did all that work make it easier to do this time around with uh, the licorice quartet uh yes and no I mean obviously knowing what's required uh, I remember gosh Eric and I were were rooming together during the spilt milk uh sessions and and so we would wake up and have a cup of coffee and then be like all right let's find our pitches because it was all singing group harmonies like that is all about knowing where you are relative to one another and and and, but also like you have to listen but you you can't at the same time if you listen to the chord all the time you forget where you are you Mm -hmm. you start to waver on your pitch so it was just it was like a boot camp in a lot of ways that made it easier for me to go on and do other things with other artists i'd never done anything since then it was was required required so much and poor eric at times is having to sing crazy notes like that play a guitar then also push a pedal and play three notes on a keyboard that you know it is it it like juggling plates but so we knew there was going to be a little bit of that just because of the way roger um uh, arranges vocals mm-hmm. and again doing it is another story because it's like okay tim or, okay, Roger, go out and sing this one pitch 15,000 times, and then we're going to double it, and then we're going to triple it. And it just, you know, there's nothing fun. It's just it's like punching the clock. You you have to believe in the process and go, uh, go out there and execute it. And it's not pretty, and it's not ego-stroking, because you're just sitting there going, nope, 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 do it again. Nope, 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 nope. And there's more no's than yeses, but once you get the yeses, it, there's a payoff to it. So it's just believing in that process. I always tell people, because obviously I'm sure you guys heard this a million times, but whenever like a friend of mine or something, I turn on to Jellyfish or whatever, they go, yeah, did they really do this harmonies? I always send them the link to the Jewel Holland, Jules Holland session where you guys did uh-huh. uh, um, uh, Bye 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 and, uh, oh God, yeah. what was the other one you guys did? Ghost All, uh, number one, I think. Yes, yes, Ghost of Number One. And I was like, listen to that. And they were like, okay, yeah, damn, that's, that's insane. So could you do your liar right now? <laughs> uh, I, I'm afraid to do it because I, I might be in the wrong key. But uh, no, I'm not going to do it right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I had my choice. This was, this, I had my chance. This was the big payoff for me. But you know what? I'll, well, I'll... there's other music in the other room. But it, yeah, it, you know, that stuff was just, we had to sing it every day. And I remember we were touring with Tears for Fears at the time. And uh, those guys would just be like walking by the dressing room going, Man, I can't believe they're doing it again. <laughs> but that's really the only way you can you can really pull it off is you have to learn how to sing as a group. And it was all not as much, even just the pitches, but like dynamically and 
shaping valves together and stuff. And that was uh, Shalom, who was our, I was telling you, was our live sound engineer, was also a singer, sort of trained growing up a, a bit, I believe. Mm-hmm. But he would also work with us because he was out front and go, Tim, your R's are not as round as the other guys and stuff. So there was always something going on that, that we were aware of that, you know. And so all that to say, too, with this group, it was just me and Roger and Eric. We had to find our own blend. And mm-hmm. uh, it took a little time to find that. Obviously, Eric uh, is such a badass singer. He could probably sing all the parts, but mm-hmm. we we had to try and arrange, make some arrangement decisions based on what we had to work with. And I think for the most part, it worked out. There were some things where we, we you know, we double up. Eric might double up more where I'd wanted to be in a certain range, but I just couldn't sing that high or whatever. But um, you know, there's some tricks of the trade. Some of the Roy Thomas Baker things that they would do uh, that we employed that helped mm-hmm. thicken things up and stuff. So. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this, and it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. And you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a big fan of the Licorice Quartet stuff. I think it's fa- fantastic, and I'm already looking forward to the next releases. So uh, thank you for so much great music, and you know, thank you for being so cool to talk to you. Sure, man. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, cool. Well, look, take care and uh, be safe and uh, shelter in place and all that good stuff. And uh, hopefully, we'll run into each other. Yep. I'll see you around town. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks.